Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's been great to be here today. And, uh, you know, we sang a line in um, one of the songs you send that says, I've been born into a family. And um, so you're my family too. You know, I don't see you every week, don't see you all the time, but you're my family too. And um, so tonight I'm just here to serve you, to encourage you, to bless you. And um, believing that what I've got written down on these pages will just... Um, yeah, we'll just do that for you this evening and uh, just encourage you along the way and be a word that God really wants you to hear. So um, I'm just going to pray and then we'll dive in. So, um, Father, thank you that you are so good. You are so good to us. You are, um, you are faithful through and through, God. We wouldn't be here tonight without your goodness, Father. And so tonight, as I just... Um, just speak your words, God, and, and our desire to build up and to encourage and to bless, God, that you would take those words and that you would do just that in every heart, Lord, that every heart would um, just go away with a, a spring in its step tonight and encouragement along the way for the journey to take on the road, Lord God. So we give you this time, Holy Spirit, just ask you to have your way. Just open up our hearts and say, have your way. Speak in the way that you want to speak, Father. Amen. 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 So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be standing here tonight if it wasn't for the goodness of God. And I think probably if I went round and asked everyone in the room, you'd say the same thing. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, we're here because of the goodness of, of our God. And there is really a lot that I could say um, in one night in, in, for all eternity, really, about the, the goodness of God. But obviously, I've got a short amount of time tonight. Um, and the, it's the Bible that's got so much to tell us. And um, if you, you know what a concordance is? Yeah? Does everyone know what one of those is? Yeah? You got one there, right there. Now, if you were to look up all the verses that had either good in them or goodness in them, wow, there, there's a lot. So the Bible has so much in there to tell us. It is a story of God's goodness from beginning to end. And, uh, you know, the Psalms, I love the Psalms, um, and they just ooze God's goodness, don't they? They just drip with God's goodness. So if you haven't got a concordance, that's a great place to start if you want to do a study about the goodness of God. But I'm going to go right back to the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, we see God as the creator, don't we, right at the beginning. And as he creates, he stands back and he admires his handiwork and his declaration is, it is good. Yeah. Everything that he creates, he stands back and takes a look, a proud look, yeah. and he says, it is good. Yeah. And you know, mankind, we are the pinnacle of that creation. And he says to each and every one of us, he said it back then when he created Adam and Eve, and he says it now, you are good. He said it to Adam and Eve, you are good. He says it to us, you are good. I've made you good because I've made you in my image. We're made in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, if we can only grasp, I think, in this life, just a little bit of that. We're made in the image of the very God, the God we serve and, and worship. Amazing. And, you know, only good things come from a God who is good. And only a good God can create good things. So he is good through and through. And the Bible tells us in James 1, verse 17, 
that whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from, our God, from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. God, at the beginning of time, he created because he wanted to reveal his glory. He created because he wanted to express his glory. He wanted to put that into something that was visual for us to be able to see as time passed, as time went on. And mankind was created to reveal and express his glory. So that means you and I, we're created to reveal and express his glory and to be in relationship with the one who all glory comes from. And later on a bit in the book of Exodus, um, after the fall of mankind from glory, we see the relationship between mankind and God developing once again. And it's about this guy called Moses. Ever heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, this guy called Moses. And Moses came to a point where he desired an intimate relationship with God. That was a desire that was in his heart. And um, he's bold enough to ask God. You might, you might already know this. He says to God, show me your glory. What boldness does that take to say to God, the creator of the universe, show me your glory? You know, isn't creation enough to, to be able to see God's glory? But Moses knew that there was more. He knew that there was more to grasp, more to see, more to behold of God and his glory. And what God replies to Moses, he says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. That's his response to Moses' um, demand. And when something is first mentioned in the Bible, we should take particular note because God's setting a precedent. He's saying, he's making a statement about who he is. And he's telling us what we can then expect in the future. So he says, Moses asked God to show him his glory. And God says, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And do you see that there's a link there? So God's glory is his goodness. That's what God told Moses. My glory that you're searching for, that you're seeking, is my goodness. Wow. They're bound together in a way that can't be separated. So God wanted to give Moses a revelation of himself so that Moses would really understand God, that he would really get to know him, that he'd really come further into this relationship. And if we read on in the next chapter, which is Exodus 34, we find that God did what he said he would do. And Moses had a radical encounter with God. And it left him radiating God's glory So much so that when Moses came down the mountain, he had to cover his face up because he was shining. He was just dripping with God's presence and God's glory. And uh, he had to cover his face. And just imagine, because God said, didn't he, that um, if you remember, that um, he would hide Moses in the cleft of the rock. And he told Moses that if you actually behold my glory, it will kill you. (laughs) So imagine if God hadn't hidden him, he wouldn't, definitely wouldn't have come back down that mountain, would he? That's how, how much his glory, how powerful his glory is, and that's his goodness. So this radical encounter that Moses had with God's goodness was, it was one man and God, where, where man could not look upon God's face and even had to cover it. But for us, 
standing here now on the other side of the cross, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. So there's no longer any separation. We can be in the fullness of that relationship with God and and experience his glory, his goodness, day by day, moment by moment. And there's, there's nothing in the way of that anymore. Wow, I'm so thankful that I live this side of the cross, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And um, I've been reading a book lately. It's called What on Earth is Glory? Really recommend it. It's by a guy called Paul Manwaring, um, who's uh, linked in with um, Bethel Church over in Redding, California. And um, in his book, I just found this quote that I thought summed that up really well. Um, It says, This request of one man, Moses... To know the glory of God gave God his opportunity to respond with an answer that satisfied, but which also made seekers who followed, like David, King David, even hungrier to know the fullness of what he allowed Moses to glimpse from behind. And yet God could turn his face to no man. So he finally answered Moses, David and the rest by taking it upon himself to make the great request on our behalf. He became a man, Jesus, and asked God for glory. He hid us in the cleft of his body and in his dying beheld the back of God. And after three days, God turned his face. Wow, just let that sink in. We're no longer separated from the fullness of God's glory, from his never-ending goodness. The veil in the temple that separated man from God's presence was torn in two, and we have that full access. Praise God. You know, Moses' glory on that mountain when he met with God, that glory was external and decreasing, so it faded in time. But you know what? Ours is increasing, and it's internal. So it's only increasing, and it's something we hold on the inside of us. Wow, we are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory. It says, doesn't it, in the Bible, we're going from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory until one day we are completely face to face with God. Wow. And in my life, I've often thought about the goodness of God in terms of the things that he's done for me, and he has done good things for me in my life and in the life of my family. There is no doubt about that. And, um, and yes, you know, those things that he's done for us are an expression of his goodness and his kindness. But God's goodness is more than those things, is more than the sum of even what he's done in our lives here in this room. God's goodness is himself. It is his nature. It is his presence. And we only truly experience and encounter God's goodness by being in an intimate relationship with him. There's no other way. God didn't rescue us by sending his son to earth just so that we could be on the receiving end of this goodness kind of now and again, you know, kind of occasionally. 
but so that he could walk with his children every moment of every day, revealing his glorious nature to us, shaping us into carriers of his glory and goodness. Wow, what a privilege. What a privilege to be those people. God is good, in quotes, is something that we can say with our lips, but we can question it with our hearts. Maybe that even happens subconsciously in our lives. And, you know, some people think that God can't possibly be in a good mood all the time. Yeah, it's true. Have have you come across people? No, no, no. God can't be in a good mood all the time because that's not our experience of God. Do you know? Do you know what I say to that? How can you trust a God that is good if he's not good all the time? How can you trust him if he's not good all the time? You know, that's like, um, that theology, that way of looking at God is like us building a house on the sand. That that is going to collapse. God's goodness, like I've said, is his very nature. And according to what I read in James 1.17 earlier, the Bible says he doesn't change. He doesn't shift like a shadow. He does not change. The goodness of God is a character trait that applies to everything else that we see across the Bible. And we see a lot of things in God, don't we, about God. And he expresses himself in different ways. But, you know, his wrath is good. His holiness is good. His righteousness is good. And his judgment is good. That, that character trait of goodness runs through, through and through the very nature of God. And that's what our faith hangs on. That is what our faith hangs on. And on earth we live in tension, don't we? We live in mystery. We can't explain everything that's going on. You know, I guarantee that each of us in this room, we will have had hard questions kind of thrown at us. Well, if God is so good, then how come? If God is so good, then how come this is happening in the world? How come there's evil? How come there's volcanoes? How come there's sickness and suffering and pain? And... We don't always know what to say to that. And sometimes we have to say to specific things, I don't know. I don't know why that specific thing's happened. But us having to say, I don't know, does not change the fact that God is good. Never changes it. Never changes it. And we have to look at what we do know. What do we know? So at this point, I just want to highlight some of the things that the Bible says about the goodness of God, because that is the most important thing, okay? Um, You might take some things away from what I said, but I want the word to be front and center. So, um, and the word is the rock. Remember I talked about building our theology on the fact that God can be good like one day, but not so good the next day, and that's like a house that's built on the sand. But our faith and our lives are built on the word, which is the rock, okay? And we can build without a shadow of a doubt on that rock, and, and it will be a strong foundation for our life. So um, I'm just kind of going to go through these quite quick, so you might not have time to look them up in your Bible, but please note them down. So in Psalm 34, 8, David says, "'Taste and see that the Lord is good.'" Yeah. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. And really, that is is about the whole of the Bible. You know, God says to us, take my word 
and taste and see that I am good. Okay? Taste and see that I am good. And in so many of the Psalms, you know, it's repeatedly written, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So often it says that. And it's true. And it was true in David's life and it's true now. In 1 Timothy 4.4, it says, since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, this is one of my favorites, one of my all-time favorites. We are encouraged by this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's all of us in this room. And um, I want to share a quick testimony um, about the goodness of God, about God working things together for my good. So in January, I had a bit of a minor car accident. It was nothing major. Um, Thankfully, no one was hurt, no one was injured. Um, Basically, a guy um, turned in front of me unsafely, and I had to do an emergency stop, which I hadn't had to do since I practiced it in my driving lessons about four years ago. Um, So, And then the person behind me went into the back of me. Um, There was minimal damage to our car, so it was completely drivable, which was brilliant. Um, and yeah, it was a little bit shaken up, but, um, but fine. And um, anyway, when the, uh, I, I went through in the insurance of the person who went into the back of me, and when the person called me to just um, say kind of what decision they'd made regarding repairs, um, the guy who phoned me said, well, Mrs. Kelly, um, your car is beyond economical repair. So basically, the cost of the repair was more than the car was worth. So it it wasn't worth doing. So he said, I was like, oh, right, okay, wondering what this would mean for us. And um, he said, so you've got a couple of options. The first is that we can salvage the car and give you X amount of money um, and, yeah, take the car off you. Um, And the second option was you can keep the car because it's roadworthy still and we'll give you X amount of money, which was about 100 quid less than the first amount of money. And so Mark was there as well, and I think I had it on speakerphone, and, and we were looking at each other going, what? What did he just say? Is he? And we, we even asked him, are those figures right? Um, and, uh, you know, to us, that car, it was a gift in the first place. Someone gave us some money to get that car when our littlest boy was um, six weeks old. And that car has been such a gift to us. And, um, you know, we didn't want to lose it. We couldn't afford to buy a new car. And, um, and, and also, we were just about to move house. And that money came in. You know, we could keep the car, and we got a payout. And that money's really helped us to buy a new bed and some other items for our, our new house. And, I, you know, it would have been great if that hadn't have happened that evening. I was on the way to do youth group over the other side of the city, and it would have been a really good thing if it hadn't have happened. But God is good. And God knew what he was doing, and he worked everything together for my good and for the good of our family. And I could tell you so many more stories like that, but I won't. But, um, yeah, God is just so good. He's so good to us. Um, Romans 2 verse 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You know, so many people in the world who don't know God like we know him think that God is this guy 
with that they can't see, but that he's got like this big stick, like walking around going, you must do this, you will do this, you must do this if you're going to get anything from me. Oh, no, no, he's not like that, is he? He's the good father. And um, it's his kindness and his goodness that leads us to repentance. It's not fear and punishment that leads us to repentance. No, no, no. Um, and that's what the world needs to know. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's very own possession. And as a result of those things, we can show others the goodness of God. For he has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. In Psalm 73.28, Asaph says, But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. (laughs) Go and tell them about the goodness of God. (laughs) Um, That's key for us, that that verse. I'll just read it again because we're a bit distracted. So Asaph, Psalm 73, 28 says, But as for me... How good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. And that's key for us. We'll only go from glory to glory filled with ever increasing amounts of God's goodness. If we spend time in his presence. If we're near to him. If we position ourselves to receive from him. To be shaped and moulded into the fullness of who he has created us to be. Secondly, we must tell of his goodness. I hope you're telling them about God's goodness on the end of the phone. (laughs) We must tell of his wonderful goodness about the things that he's done for us. um, Revelation 12, 11 says that we will overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb, so what Jesus did, and the word of our testimony. So let's keep God's goodness on our lips and find every opportunity to share it with and declare it to those around us, to the people that we encounter every day. And I want to encourage you that every time you come together, whether it's coffee or life groups or on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning, talk about the goodness of God. What's God been doing? Um, we've started doing that. Um, so I, I actually have been speaking about God's goodness with Freedom Church as well. And we started at the very beginning, before anything else happens, just maybe a quick welcome. But, um, you know, what's the good news? What's God been up to this week? Because the, he is always up to something, always up to something. We just need to have eyes to see it and that awareness of what's going on. And, um, you know, you can even do this at work, you know, when you have meetings at work. You don't have to mention Jesus, but ask people, what's the good news? What's going on in the company that's good? You know, prophets might be on the up, or so-and-so might have joined the team, or there's always something going on. And it's about giving God, attributing this goodness to our good Father. It's about giving him the glory. And the more we attribute the goodness back to God... Guess what happens? The more our faith and expectation increases and we're able to declare and bring God's goodness into those situations that we face all the time and it becomes a norm, not just an every now and again thing, but it becomes the norm in our lives. 
God's goodness in and through our lives is a gift and it's meant to be given away. It's, it's got to be given away because we are, we're the, like God's visual aids, we're the evidence of his goodness on the earth. He wants it to be seen in us and through us. And we've been given the freedom and the authority to pray for goodness to come to our families, our neighbourhoods, our workplaces, our schools, guys. Did you know that? You've got the freedom and authority to pray for God's goodness to come into your classrooms, to affect your teachers and your friends and the whole community in your schools and anyone who's at college or uni. And... Yeah, on our streets, in our homes, everywhere we go, everywhere we place our feet, we can declare God's goodness. So I just want you to think about, if you want to close your eyes, you can. Think about who in your life right now needs an encounter with goodness. It might be someone who's bad-mouthing you at work or bullying you at school. It might be someone who really gets on your nerves and you might live with that person. Or someone who you would have once called a friend who has maybe turned their back on you or been disloyal to you. Who needs an encounter with God's goodness? Do you know that relationships can be healed with the goodness of God? By the goodness of God, they can be restored. I've seen it in my own life happen, and I I believe that. It is God's goodness. And we can declare it into those relationships that are hard, those relationships that need restoration, that need building up. We can bring God's goodness into those. What are the current difficulties in our own lives that need to be immersed in goodness, in God's goodness? You know, especially in this country, we're good at enduring things. You know, stiff up lip. We're good at enduring things. We're good at putting up with stuff. We're even good at accommodating stuff, stuff, sickness, illness, um, just things not being right. You know, we just grit our teeth and get on with it, you know? And yeah, I believe that God wants us to get on with stuff and he wants us to have that spirit of overcoming and we will be challenged with stuff. But you know what? We are not to put up with stuff. We are not to put up with sickness. Oh, yeah, I've had this pain in my knee for, oh, it must be five years now. And yeah, I just get on with it. I just hobble along. Yeah, I can't walk very far. No, that is not God's best. Things have got to change. Where am I? (laughs) Got a bit carried away there. It's God's goodness that radiates in us and through us and that equips us for everything that we face in life. And all we need to do is open our eyes and open our hearts to his goodness. And it leads us into a place of joy and thanksgiving when we open our eyes and we open our hearts to him and what he's doing. God's calling us to be a people who make the first move in goodness. You know, it's very easy to be in relationships and think, you know, I'll just take a little back seat. I'll see what happens. I'll kind of wait for the other person to move and then, you know, just take it from there. But what about if we step up and we step into God's goodness? And we bring God's goodness into that relationship. 
and it changes things. And we are the ones who take the first move in, in it. I really believe that God wants us to take the first move in his goodness Amen. wherever we go. And we can only do that if, if our encounter with God is day by day and if we're immersed in, in the goodness of the Father, that things don't happen just as a one-off, but that it's a daily occurrence for us. We are citizens of heaven. And when people look at us, they should know what God is like. They should see what God is like. As Jesus said, if they've seen me, they've seen the Father. So let's have a reputation for doing good. You know, a lot of people have a bad reputation that goes before them. Let us, as God's people, citizens of heaven, have a reputation for goodness, for doing good wherever we go, for everything that we say, for all our actions, for the way that we love people. Let's have a reputation for goodness. So when we have a reputation for doing God, guess who receives the glory? You know, goodness and glory, that... that, um, that, um, that's those things that are bound together, inseparable. We function out of the goodness of God. We function in the goodness of God. We bring the goodness of God, and he gets the glory as the good father, and that's the glory and the goodness going hand in hand. We're the gift of God's... You, each one of you, are the gift of God's goodness to this world. That's who you are. So let's keep ourselves aligned with him in constant relationship with our good father. Just, I love that song. In fact, I'd like us, I'd love it for us to sing at the end of the good, good father song. Wow. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who God is. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. That should be the message that we're taking to the world. The world needs to know they have a good father. Colossians 1.27 in the message says, Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. We are partakers in the glory of God. We're not meant to be on the sidelines somewhere looking on. We are in partnership with God. That means we share in his glory. And we... We only grasp a tiny bit of what that looks like. Well, we, we share in his glory. So, the foundation of our faith must be this, that God is a good God who has created us good to be full of his goodness through relationship with him and to freely give this goodness away to bring glory to his name. There is a whole community out there a whole city, that they're desperate, whether they know it or not, they're desperate for an encounter with the goodness of God, with God himself. And God's calling us to be the ones who demonstrate it, who speak it, who declare it, so that they can come into relationship with their good father. And I'm just reminded of, um, you know, the parable of uh, the, the prodigal son in Luke 14? And I like to call it the... Um, parable of the extravagant father yeah. uh, because it says so much about the father um, and um, 
So there are two sons. There's one, uh, there's an elder son and a younger son. And the younger son comes and sees his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And he's basically saying to his father in that statement, I, I wish you were dead. Because his inheritance should have come to him after his father has gone. But his father, his father gives him the inheritance. And the eldest son stays at home and is, is dutiful. And the youngest son goes away and he spends, he loves to spend. He spends it all on parties, money, clothes, just stuff. Stuff to make him feel good, yeah? And it runs out. The money runs out. And he finds himself feeding pigs. And he can't even eat the stuff that the pigs are eating. He's stooped that low. And one day he thinks to himself, I've got only one option. My only option is to go back to my father's house. That's all I can do now. Because I've got myself into this state. And I can't think of anybody else that I can turn to. And he comes home and on his way home the father has been watching and it says from a long way off his father recognizes that it's his youngest son the father I don't think it was just that day that the father was watching for his son to come home to you I think he was watching and waiting and he knew far off from the way that his son walked you can imagine the way that the son was walking probably very downtrodden but nevertheless, his father recognized him and he embraced his son. He didn't say anything of, I can't believe what you've done. You've squandered all this money. You look at the state of you. You stink. You've been feeding pigs. <laughs> no, he embraces him. I can imagine that hug going on for a long time. And he says to this, he, do you know, in the parable, look at it again. He doesn't actually even speak to his son. He says to his servants, go and put on a feast. We're going to throw a massive party. He says, get me the robe that is, um, that is the family robe that speaks of authority. Um, get the ring that belongs to the family so that I can put it on his finger that speaks of identity. Get the shoes. You know, it talks about um, the shoes that are the gospel of peace, that peace comes back, is, is restored back to his life. And, um, and meanwhile... The eldest son, uh, he hears the commotion and he comes along and he says, what are you doing, father? You, th this son that asked for, for, for his inheritance, that basically says, I wish you were dead. You, you've embraced him, he's come back and you're going to throw a massive feast. What about me? I've been here all along. I have been dutiful. I have been by your side. I've done exactly what you told me to do. And the father says to the son, the eldest son, he says, everything that's mine, everything that's mine is yours. And you know, the, the son that went away, everything that he went to find, he could have found in his father's house. Everything. And the son who was there didn't have eyes to see what was in front of him. Didn't have a heart to receive that. And actually, I, there are three sons in this story because there's the eldest son, there's the youngest son who went away, and there's the, the youngest son that returned. 
And when he returned, something happened. In that embrace of his father, in that welcoming back into the house, into his good father's house, that was a changed son. And um, I just felt to share that because at different times in our lives, we can feel like the different sons. And um, as we just sing this song, Good, Good Father, again, just let God um, meet you where you're at. And just, you know, we need to reposition ourselves um, in relationship with the Father because he says, all of heaven is yours. There's no veil anymore. There's no blockage. There's nothing separating you from me and everything that I have. Everything that I have, all of heaven is yours. And, you know, we, we need to position ourselves to receive that. So I don't know where you might be at this evening. You might be a long way off. But the Father is watching for you and waiting for you. And his embrace is the best embrace, is the biggest embrace you will ever receive. And you don't have to leave that embrace. You might be the son, um, the eldest son that's been faithful and, but dutiful. Um, and God says, hello, everything that's in my house, it's yours. It's always been yours. It belongs to you too. And then you might be already in the Father's embrace. And praise God if you are, just encourage you to stay there. So, yeah, let's just sing uh, Good, Good Father again and just respond to God, how he leads you, what he's saying to you. Just respond to him and let him meet you. Let's stand together in his presence.